What a difference one week can make. If you were here on Christmas Eve, you know how grand of a day it was. Over 250 people were seated where you are seated in the sanctuary at one point or the other throughout the course of four worship services. That was just seven days ago. The organ sounded beautiful. The choir led by Dawn was excellent as usual. We even had a saxophone solo, which if I checked the Walker Chapel records correctly, that's the first time that's ever happened in this church. Towards the end of each of our evening worship services, children held up glow sticks and adults held up candles as we sang Silent Night and looked up to the, looked up to the heavens. Christmas Eve, along with Christmas Day, are both days of great expectations. On Christmas Eve, we anxiously await the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. And then the following morning, the celebration continues as family and friends who are closer than family begin to gather to eat, to exchange gifts, and then to celebrate throughout the day. The expectations of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, along with the expectations of today, of, of New Year's Eve, and the week in between can leave us in a fog. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's because your employer has a very liberal work-from-home policy this week, like mine does. Maybe it's because you were traveling throughout the holidays to visit family or friends or to take a vacation and not tell one half of the family that you're going on vacation. Or maybe it's because you've eaten too much cheese over the last seven days. Confession, I ate an entire mini crock pot of queso over an hour and a half period. Either way, the expectations that we hold for this season, for this week, give us high highs. The highest of highs we may feel all year. And at the same time, we will feel the lowest of lows. This evening, we will mark the end of the year. And at the end of one year and the birth of a new year, expectations abound. Many will stay up until the wee hours of the morning to celebrate as the clock rolls from one day to the next. This change in the calendar happens every single day. Every day, around 11, between 11.59 and midnight, we move from one day to to the next. But tonight, with that calendar change, our expectations are a bit different. We expect new possibilities will appear as we move from tonight into tomorrow, from this year into next year. So tonight, with glasses of champagne and hors d'oeuvres, probably more cheese, we will begin trading our expectations for God's grand intrusion into our lives, for the expectations we will place on ourselves and others as we approach a new year. Suppose Advent and Christmas Eve were the season of great expectations. And today, the first Sunday after Christmas, alongside with the possibilities of a new year, that season has extended for at least another week. In that case, we may be in the season of great expectations, but I would argue that we are preparing to enter into the season of the great resumption. Don't get me wrong. 
This isn't your, I'm not calling guilt upon us, moving from expectation to resuming our old lives. I'm, I'm right there with you. At the parsonage, we are preparing for the kids to return to school in two days. It can't come soon enough. <laughs> we are debating in our house, deciding when to pack up all of the Christmas decorations. Do we do it today and tomorrow while we still have child labor at home to help us with the work, or do we wait until epiphany? <clears throat> we are beginning to name our hopes for a new year. The Sundays after High Holy Days in the church, the Sundays after Christmas and the Sundays after Easter, among clergy are typically called Low Sundays. Low for, for many reasons. Statistically, worship the Sunday after of a holy day is much lower than the attendance of a grand service. Low because the fanfare and the excitement of Christmas and Easter Christmas with candles and Easter with brass-led fanfare are in the distance of the rearview mirror. The gloominess of this past week, I believe this is the first time I've seen the sun in five days, can also feel, make us feel rather low. And while I'm happy that the rain held off and did not fall on our Christmas Eve worshipers, I wish God had gotten the memo about our expectations for this past week. This last week was supposed to be our opportunity to repeat the sounding joy of Christmas, but instead, the low after the holiday was sped up because for many of us, we haven't seen the sun in six and a half days. Simeon and Anna were both filled with expectations. For both of them, their expectations rested not in the cycle of the temple, but rather in the promise God made to Israel. A promise to raise up a Messiah through the line of David. So Simeon and Anna waited. Anna waited in the temple for the coming of the Lord. Imagine that. Imagine spending day and night, going from calendar day to calendar day, here in the chapel waiting for the Lord to be presented, not knowing what to, you were looking for. Simeon had the Holy Spirit resting upon him so that he would be able to go to the temple to find the Messiah. But what would this Messiah look like? Would it be the mighty warrior that many in Israel expected? Would it be a well-skilled politician who was quick with rebuttals in debate. A baby entering the temple so that the child could be presented, so that the parents could offer a sacrifice according to what Leviticus instructs the family to do. Would it be a family presenting a child with two turtle doves or a pair of pigeons, signaling to us that this family is not a family of great means? For many of us, that family would walk past us and we wouldn't think twice about the child they were holding. And you see, Simeon sees the child coming toward him, and the Holy Spirit does whatever the Holy Spirit does, and Simeon grabs this child, and then echoing the, what the angels had told the shepherds in their fields as they watched their flocks by night, announced that this child was a light of revelation 
to the Gentiles, and that this child was, was, was for the glory of the people of Israel. And Simeon hands the child back very gingerly. Pro tip for the church, you should never just grab somebody's child and start singing praises to God, ask permission, and then sing praises to God. It will work out better for the entire congregation if you do that. But a few minutes later, Anna approaches the family and again begins to praise God and to speak about all the, to speak about the child. And that Israel was looking to this child for redemption. The heavenly hosts were gone. Their songs that filled the night were no more. The manger was a distant memory in the rearview mirror, and still Simeon and Anna were able to lift their praises. Mary and Joseph were going about the business of being a Jewish family living in Nazareth, having to travel once again with their child to the temple. They scrounged up whatever they could find for their meager offering, perhaps not expecting what was about to happen when they entered the temple in Jerusalem. Anyone who has ever traveled with a newborn knows that you are supposed to expect the unexpected. That's why diaper bags get bigger and bigger and bigger, always filled to the brim with extra everything. Diapers, formula, wipes, blankets, clothing, or whatever else your child might need. Newborn Parents of newborns expect to need all of these things at one point or another, but many parents will always tell you that they needed the one thing that they didn't think that they would need, and that one thing is always different for every child. Simeon and Anna were clinging to the expectations of Israel. The expectation... Israel had was that the Lord would raise up a Messiah through the line of David, mighty David, the giant slaying king. So Israel waited and prayed. They searched the scriptures like Anna did, and like as they had done for centuries. And then one day, without much warning, the expectations were fulfilled in a child. In the middle of Mary and Joseph taking their son to the temple in accordance with the law, in the middle of Simeon and Anna's prayers, the expectations of the Lord were fulfilled. The joyous expectations of the manger were revealed in the middle of the day-to-day -day life of Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna. You see, many believe that Jesus came to destroy the traditions of religion to overturn centuries of practice and belief, to disjoin Israel from its faith. But from the very beginning, we see that this is not the way of Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the hopes and the expectations of Israel, the fulfillment of their centuries of prayer. There is a rhythm to the story of Jesus. It's a mix of tradition intrusion, and resumption. And this rhythm creates the expectations that many of us have for the church today. And frankly, these expectations become tiresome. Our liturgy repeats itself week after week after week. You don't need your bulletin. You know what is going to happen next. 
you hear the same scripture readings year after year around the same time. I'm not a betting person, but I would be willing to bet about a year from now, maybe 50 weeks from now, we'll be reading something from either Luke 1 or Luke 2. We hear these scriptures that we hear every single year and we go, didn't we just read that? Do we really need to hear that again? What new thing does this preacher have to say about this same old song that we've heard year after year after year? We think that we want spontaneity. As spontaneous as we all like to think that we are, we all have expectations for the rhythm of our own lives. And much of, our, much of that rhythm has played out as expected over the last week. A week ago, we lit candles, we held them up, we looked at the heavens, we sang Silent Night. The next morning, we opened gifts, we feasted all day, and then we prepared for what was next. Vacations, cleaning up after the mess, after the in-laws left, squeezing in end-of-the-year work that we had told our bosses we'd already done, we had done a month ago. The joy of Christmas is that through the incarnation, through a baby, through a child, God has broken up the, ex, the expected rhythms of our lives. While the day-to-day -day grind of Israel continued after the shepherds finished their singing and dancing, God continued to surprise the faithful at the temple, in synagogues throughout Israel, at a wedding in Cana, throughout Galilee, and ultimately through a borrowed grain. On Christmas Eve, I told you all that when heaven and earth collide, the aftermath is not destruction, but rather it's joy. When heaven and earth collide, we can expect the joyous disruption of our routines and our expectations. So on this first Sunday after Christmas, we celebrate that while many, that while, while we may want Christmas or Christianity, while we may want Christianity to be warm and spontaneous and full of miracles, Christianity is about the habit of prayer. Christianity is about the habit of studying God's word, like Simeon and Anna, quietly waiting for the Lord to reveal the Lord's self to us. After leaving the temple, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph returned to Nazareth to go about their day-to-day -day lives, to raise their child. Mary washing and singing lullabies to her child before a morning nap, while Joseph would return to the carpenter's shop. And then, one day, while Mary is singing and, and Joseph is working, the glory of the Lord and their son will be revealed to them. And the same is true for us. As we return to the expected normal of life after Christmas, as the Christmas carols fade, as 97.1 stops playing endless carol of bells, we will cling to the promise of the grand and divine intrusion. Because just as the Lord promised that Christ would be born of David, so does the Lord promise that Christ will return again. Yeah.